those rich people always flying off somewhere. <laughs> Welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. A show about all things from the perspective of two revolutionary vegan women. I'm Mexi. And I'm Maureen. And today we'll be talking about universal basic income and mm -hmm. what our perspectives on that are. Mm -hmm. A critical leftist take yes. on UBI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, since it's all, all the rage right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Maureen is just back from Athens. I am back from Athens and I'm not very happy to be back. No. She's not in a good mood no. <laughs> for this recording. <laughs> I, feel like I always get that like post-travel depression. Yeah, it's been. Well, also, it was so the weather was so nice in Athens and mm -hmm. it was like between 15 and 20 degrees Celsius. And it's so cold here. And Mexi, it actually is cold today. It's like negative five because wow. I always tell Bexy about how cold it is here and it's always like 30 degrees warmer than it is in Toronto <laughs> <laughs> yeah in seriously <clears throat> or I'm like oh it's so wonderful out today I had to go outside for a walk it was two degrees <laughs> and the sun was out one time like, you actually said fuck? oh my god it was so hot I had I had like came inside and like took off all of my sweaters <laughs> and it was two degrees and I was like what are you talking yeah. about yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Here when it's like seven or eight, I'm dying of cold. I also just have terrible resilience to cold though. You know this, like really bad circulation yeah. and I'm always just freezing. Yeah. Well, usually I do too, but I guess it's been like negative 30 so often here that I've just been like, I when it's, when understand. it's two, I'm like, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> negative 30. Wow. It's yeah. negative three in Paris today and it, like I can barely walk like a hundred meters. To it's two degrees, two degrees here, today. and I'm like, wow, the sun is out. I should go for a walk. Yeah, you were, you told me that whenever it breaks the zero mark, people are out on runs and stuff. Oh yeah, people yesterday were like all over the place, running and biking and everything. <laughs> people were biking this morning. Wow. Yeah. Really is relative. <laughs> well, in Athens, it was very nice. Though it was between fifteen and twenty degrees. Every day, I was so happy, mm -hmm. and yeah, I had a really nice time. I went there by myself and stayed in a hostel, and yeah, I actually met one of my subscribers, one of my viewers from YouTube. Very cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so, Stephen, if you're listening, hi. It was awesome to meet <laughs> you in Athens, and they showed me around. A good many things that I would not have had access to if I didn't know them. So yeah, yeah that, that was that was great. And I just ate lots of yummy vegan food. Basically I had falafel wraps like every god every day, like twice a day <laughs> most of the time. Um nice. and that was really good. And I hiked up the Acropolis a bunch of times and I went uh, walking. Love tour. it up there. And like, ugh, it was just so fun. So yeah, I am having the post, post vacation mm -hmm. down, down, Downer. downward spiral. <laughs> and then as Maxie knows, I also got in like a mini car accident last night on mm -hmm. my way back from the airport. Yeah. It's super scary, but thankfully I'm all good. But so I'm just mm -hmm. like, ugh. 
Yeah. Feeling, feeling the feeling today. Need those self-driving cars, right? Right, Uber? Ooh, good Displace transition. all those workers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all those self-driving cars. Displace that cars. workforce. Yeah, we got to invest <laughs> in the technology that's going to make us free. Yeah. So before we dive in, we have a few Patreon pledges to shout out. So we have Madeline Morgan. Thank you so much. Um, Magnus or Magnus. Um, Jordan and Brandon Wright. So thank you so much to everyone who's donated in the past several weeks. Thank you to all of our new patrons and yes. Patreon pledges. We really appreciate yes. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you want to support the show, once again, you can give us a one-time donation on PayPal on our website, which is veganvanguardpodcast.com, or you can become a monthly Patreon donor <laughs> um nice. once again through our website and yeah that's how you can support us <laughs> yep all right so shall we dive in mm -hmm. do you want to take the lead all right um so we're gonna start by talking about the reasons why we need ubi in this late stage capitalist system um and then we're going to look at the progressive idea the reactionary idea um and then you know a lot of critiques of that reactionary idea um and then finish it off by discussing what we think about you know what whether we should support this or whether this will actually solve any of the contradictions of capitalism at all so, <laughs> um, to start off, I'm going to start talking about like the reason that we need UBI under capitalism. So, as we know from like all previous podcasts and my channel and Maureen's channel, capitalism reproduces itself only by creating an ever-growing reserve pool of labor. Um, and by that, I mean people who are either unemployed, underemployed, or employed in the informal economy that is largely superfluous to capital. So it's like an unregulated economy. So there are many ways that it does this as a system, and you can check out my video on this topic specifically, but one would be automation. And automation is a natural part of the growth of capitalism because in order to stay competitive, capitalists must be constantly revolutionizing their production process to make production as cheap as possible so that their profits can continue to rise. Because the lower you keep your costs, including labor costs, the more you profit from your sales. Um, neoliberalism and free trade have also contributed to this by pitting workers against one another in the global race to the bottom in terms of wages and working conditions. So basically, because capital can move and labor can't, like because we can, we now have these global mechanisms to outsource all of our labor to the third world, um, if workers strike anywhere in the world, if workers strike in the first world um, or the third world, then it just encourages companies to either automate more to just displace that labor altogether or to outsource more to sweatshops in the third world. So this keeps wages down globally. <laughs> That's why we call it the race to the bottom. Yay, capitalism. So we're reaching a point now where automation and the increasing precariousness of labor everywhere is poised. I mean, I mean, Maureen, I think can refute this a bit. 
Uh, but yeah, it's estimated that capitalism is poised to make up to 50% of the workforce redundant in the next several decades through automation and through, you know, increasing precariousness. So when people have no jobs, they can't purchase anything. And so the economy flops because you have a problem with effective demand. If there's no one to purchase all of the goods being produced by the system, then we run into the crisis of overaccumulation and then consequent stagnation. So that means that, yeah, there's all these goods, but there's no one to buy them. Um, and so the system stagnates. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is why everyone now is kind of looking to UBI and like even high profile conservative people are now pushing for UBI um, because, yeah, people are realizing like, well, shit, what are we going to do? So like the idea, you know, it it could be progressive. It could be otherwise. But basically, I I feel like the idea was shunned for a long time. Like progressives were picking it up, but it, it was basically shunned as like this wacky left wing pipe dream for a long time until recently when some like really high profile Silicon Valley billionaires started to realize that the more that they automated and put people out of work, the fewer people would actually be able to buy their goods. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now that like Richard Branson and Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are behind it, now it's a credible idea. Now it's a talking point. Mm -hmm. I just read a a couple articles this morning that um, talked about the fact that that the narrative that automation is going to fully take over very soon is an idea that's also largely pushed by Silicon Valley and beneficial to them because it basically furthers the narrative that people should invest in technology and that there's this almost utopian technological determinism that we're inevitably going to head towards you know that like science and automation is going to triumph and that there's no way to resist this um that there's no way to resist this progress um but for example marx marx's criticism of automation would make us seriously question this narrative because he discussed automation as basically a way of disciplining labor and of ridding laborers of like their bargaining power by continually replacing them with automation that could that could do their own job so for example like if there's an engineer if there's a machinist that can like uh you know, perform some kind of action, and then you replace that worker with a machine and ask, you know, the worker to instead, you know, take on another job, like sweep, sweep the floor, oil this new technology or whatever. Um, basically, you're continually devaluing the position and, and, and decreasing the bargaining power of that worker to um, contest their wages or to contest their labor conditions. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, like, I think we'll talk about this in a bit, too. I mean, on the one hand, like Marx was yeah clear about that. Um, but on the other, he also felt like, you know, automation played into this like post scarcity idea of like, fully automated luxury communism, which I'm going to talk about shortly. Um, but that, you know, it can be used in in different ways. Mm-hmm. But under capitalism right it would only 
like degrade the working conditions and wages of labor and degrade their bargaining power. Right. So maybe like under the social relations of capitalism, automation is just going to be a way to continually like devalue and drive down wages and bargaining power of workers. Um, But it doesn't mean that automation like outside of those, if it wasn't basically run by the capitalists, like if we have an, if we have automation that is in the ownership of the capitalists, like there's no way it's going to benefit the workers more than Mm -hmm. the capitalists, you know? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And, and it's true that like pushing this whole narrative of, of technology being inevitable um, and like our saving grace, you know, inventing like drones and self-driving cars and creating all this hype around it is like hugely beneficial for the Amazons and the Ubers um, and even, and like the Walmarts of the world because they want people to invest in their technology. And it's interesting because I was reading that Amazon, even though like Amazon is absolutely massive, it's actually like a very bad company to invest in, like the earnings to share price are 200 to one where, so it's like a pretty crappy investment. Whereas like normally, um, earning to share prices that are considered like valuable are 10 to one or eight to one. So anyway, it's just a good way to like jack up their stock prices and like make people believe that, you know, since the future is now, this is like the place we need to be, you know? Mm -hmm. Also Amazon is like a fucking like, Oh, they're the worst company for, for labor. I just Mm -hmm. shared this article about how they're, they're automating these like Fitbits basically that will be able to let employers know if workers are slacking off at all. What? <laughs> like, yeah, I will share this in the show notes. It is like slave labor. Like they're going to track what workers are doing. And then if they're, they're slacking off, then Amazon will know. And they're creating a patent for it. Wow. Yeah. That's really scary. Amazon. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I read in an article and I talked about this in a video that something like over 25% of workers in the United States like got their Fitbit through their employers, but I had no Mm -hmm. idea. So what, are they going to like track their heart rate to like figure out if they're packing boxes or not? Girl, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember what the article was Mm -hmm. saying about exactly how they're going to do it, but it was like basically it would like it would also it would like track their hand motion so that like they would know if they were like making mistakes and stuff it's fucked up this is some like dystopian nightmare shit so yeah amazon get out of get out of here yeah yeah Yeah. um but yeah no that's like that's a really good point i mean it's hard for me to say like there's there's so many different you know, numbers out there. Like, I mean, 50% of the workforce is like probably hyperbolic, but at the same time, I don't know, there are entire industries that are, that are set to be taken Mm -hmm. over by robots and things that you wouldn't even expect, you know, like, like journalists and like Mm -hmm. doctors and things like that. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a progressive way that this could be used, but uh, it would not be under the social relations of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And that's, this is like what this like fully automated luxury communism is all about, or like, this is what the idea of post-scarcity is all about. Um, 
because yeah, I mean, under different social relations, like if we were living under like a communal ownership model, um, communal property, etc., then sure, we could have all of these robots doing literally everything for us in such a way that it would just increase our leisure time and it would increase like we could just have access to things that we wanted, like whatever the goods that the uh, the robots are creating. We would be free from the shackles of uh, wage labor and we wouldn't have to do all of this just to get by you know, we would be free to actually pursue what we wanted and what we dreamed of doing and what we were passionate about, what we were good at. Um, and then all the menial tasks that nobody wants to do would be taken over by robots. So this is like the ideal, like futuristic communist society. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like on the progressive side, some people were saying that, you know, it could be done in such a way that people are actually getting paid you know, uh, quite, not quite well, but like they're getting paid so that they're above the poverty line and that they also have access to social services. So this could be a way to take away some of the control that the employer has over the employee. And then it would liberate them to some degree to be able to pursue their passions because they, again, wouldn't be slaves to their wages or they wouldn't be stuck tied to like one really shitty employer like Amazon Mm -hmm. or like having to have two or three retail jobs or whatever. So this is like the progressive dream. (laughs) Right. Because I could see that going in the exact opposite direction. Like I feel like the more the person, the more the worker is divorced from the employee in terms of, I'm, I'm sorry, the more the employee is divorced from the employer for their wage, like the more also they lose their ability to like have bargaining power. So what I mean is like, mm. for example, um, Walmart and McDonald's and other big corporations like literally teach their workers how to apply for programs of social assistance, how to apply for food stamps. And so, I mean, they don't teach them, but they give them a checklist. So they're basically like, yeah, um, our job is so shitty that you're going to like have to seek all of these like external ways to like make ends meet. So it's... Are you kidding me? No, 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 no I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah, they, they like encourage their workers and show them and basically help them apply for social assistance programs because oh they don't get paid enough. Um, so I feel like the fact that, like, I see what you're saying in terms of it might help emancipate the worker to not rely solely on his employer for a wage and a means of subsistence, but I could also see it taking like a really nefarious turn where big turn where like the employer is never responsible, um, for the like employees, like you know, ability to survive. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that's like what basic, I think that's where universal basic income sort of scares me the most is like, will it just become a subsidy for really low waged workers um, Mm -hmm. for like, you know, big corporations to like externalize the cost of their operations even further and like Mm -hmm. make it even that much more impossible for their low wage employees to like survive. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like that, yeah, what I was talking about was like the progressive dream. Um, but the original idea is actually completely in line with what you're talking about. Like the, or, the original idea came from Milton Friedman and Hayek in the 70s. Mm-hmm. These are the engineers of neoliberalism. Yeah. <laughs> like these are like the fuckheads. You know what I mean? The hyper right wing economists totally yeah Um, that's the thing it was like ubi is not a new proposal like it's actually been around for a really really long time it's just taken on like Mm -hmm. different forms but Mm -hmm. yeah like the proposal of ubi yeah it's being marketed as this new like tech like technological like dream utopian determinism type of thing but Mm -hmm. yeah it's been around for a really long time and like neoliberalism every time like they money gets pumped into um the working class when it's needed in order to like fuel production and basically like uphold capitalism. But the second Mm -hmm. that, the second that it's not in the interest of the capitalists anymore, it's torn down, you know, and like Mm -hmm, UBI mm -hmm. is going to be the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was designed for the capitalists. Like Mm -hmm. they originally called it this, a negative income tax and they were pushing it because they thought that unemployment benefits were holding wages too high. So as in, like, if an employer was trying to pay really low wages or if they were trying to pay people less than a living wage, people who got unemployment insurance would say, like, no, it's it's not in my interest to wor- work for you for this, like, less than a living wage when I'm actually, like, the unemployment benefits that I'm getting are actually better than your fucking slave wages. So no. Um So in order to get someone to work, you have to pay 50% more than the unemployment benefit to make it worthwhile for them. Mm -hmm. So the neoliberals, the economists, the right-wingers said, well, why don't we pay the benefit to everyone and then it will be possible to pay only half of the unemployment wage, like on uh, only half of the unemployment benefit as a wage. So you could still get people coming into work for that. Mm -hmm. So the whole scheme was originally thought of as a way to lower the baseline of wages down below the value of unemployment benefits. So yeah, <laughs> like what? Totally. I you mean, know? that's in line with like we need to remember that the entire quest, like the entire history of capitalism can be reduced to the the goal of producing a working class whose survival is dependent on selling its wage for its wage labor for survival. Like that's literally Yeah. Like for and for the cheapest price. And for the cheapest price. Like if you I don't know, the idea that we are the idea that capitalists are going to push for a UBI that allows the working class to emancipate themselves fully from the structure of labor when that is like literally what they depend on is unfortunately something I'm very skeptical of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, this is not what it was ever designed for. And so progressives took hold of this and thought like, well, we could make this really progressive. Like, mm-hmm. we could make it something that emancipates people. But even then, um, I'll link a video by Paul Cockshot in a blog post where he was trying to calculate like, how this would be funded and like, how it would actually harm other working people because like you know in theory we could get this money by like taxing the shit out of like the billionaires or taxing the shit out of the robots but like you know look how well that's been going this for the past like (laughs) ever you know what i mean like that's not gonna happen so it was like 
you know, it's going to actually harm working people who are making moderate to average pay because they're going to be taxed more to fund this so that like it'll basically just like equalize everybody who's like working class into getting like a similar wage. But then like the owner class or the capitalist class is like going to not be affected. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I mean, a lot of the proposals for like basic incomes um, or a lot of the capital that is being raised by the state to fund potential basic income programs would come from the working class themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like why right-wingers are all about it is they see this as an almost like a self-funding model, basically, mm-hmm. where since you force the socially like an economically precarious class to exit from social assistance programs, you can like tax them more and also like get the money from the social assistance program and distribute them as like, you know, a basic Mm -hmm. income. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you just hit on something like, like that's, that's definitely part of these reactionary models that are being put forward um, by people like Charles Murray and by like the right wing Fraser Institute in Canada, where the idea of basic income isn't that you get a wage on top of your social services mm-hmm. that you're already guaranteed. It's that you get like $10,000 per year or something, which is well below the poverty line that wouldn't even pay you rent mm-hmm. in Toronto for a year that would not pay you rent. Um, and then the rest of your services are privatized. So you have to purchase private insurance or everything right. else is on you. So instead right. of being covered, it's like, okay, here's this like terrible wage that you can't live on actually. And then you have to, you're on your own. Exactly. Like, do we really <laughs> expect that the costs of, you know, healthcare and education and housing wouldn't, wouldn't subsequently rise if everyone was given a basic wage? Because again, like, as we just said, capitalists need, like, rely on, like, capitalist exploitation relies on the dependency that people have on work in order to buy those goods and services. Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously, if they had enough, if they all of a sudden got huge checks in the mail, then, yeah, the price of basic necessities would also rise. Yeah, possibly. I mean, because like, if you think about this long term, if we're thinking that people will be continually made superfluous to capital, then the prices wouldn't be able to rise indefinitely. I mean, like, economically, I don't see how this is going to work anyway, into the future. um, If we are thinking about this huge displacement of labor. Um, And because then eventually all the working class people, it's like, well, how are you going to tax them? Like, they're all just living on their basic income. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that I think that's part of the scheme of coercing people back into the labor market, like no matter yeah, what yeah. you do. Yeah. There's a lot of people like who argue that this is really just about maintaining and producing a low-wage workforce of people Completely. who will accept like shitty jobs. Right. Like we can't leave capitalists in charge of the means of production but then hope that miraculously the like DNA of labor markets is going to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this really lays bare the fact that it does not make sense anymore. I mean, it never did 
but it doesn't make sense anymore going into the future having a system that's based around a class of owners Mm -hmm. and a class of laborers. Like it doesn't make sense to do that because all of the laborers are going to be displaced. Like it doesn't make sense anymore. Mm -hmm. We can't just have everybody living on a UBI. Like this is like really fucked up, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like like the World Bank and the IMF are even like musing about basic income. Like, yeah, you know, when you know that the engineers of like austerity and like, you know, they've been worrying about the backlash against all of their austerity programs. So this is like a great way to dress up their mm-hmm. agenda as something that looks really progressive. But like it's it's to a not myth. actually change. It's like a myth, just like poverty reduction. Right. Right. Yeah. When I was reading when when I was reading about this this morning, I kept thinking like it's part it. It's this like dystopian uh, fantasy that I think elites are pushing, and that also like on the left we're we're starting to embrace that as if the economy can remain capitalist and labor systems can go unchanged, but that we can also have socialism coexist with that. Like we can't, those two things are unreconcilable, but I feel like with, with UBI, it almost, there's this like allure in thinking that they're not like, it was, Mm -hmm. it was making me think of how the other week we were talking about people who say like, I'm socially, I'm, I'm fiscally conservative, but socially liberal, (laughs) like as in like, as if that's a thing that can exist. That is not a thing. It is not a thing. You can't be ec- – exactly. You can't, like, think that you are in favor of a socially progressive agenda while simultaneously endorsing a market that is going, like, that is going to harm people of color and women and disabled people and, right, like, right. you know, all those all, – and, and all those marginalized communities first, you know? And I feel oh, like – I'm, like, getting so riled up even just hearing that. Yeah, <laughs> like I could talk for hours about how fucked up that is and how like mer- this is just totally an aside. But like when I told Maureen that people in Canada actually identify that way, she was just blown away. She was like, what? I thought that was like a joke. I was like, no, there are people in Canada that I know, like good friends of mine who are smart people. Like it's typically it's normal for people to say, oh, I'm socially liberal, but fiscally conservative. I'm like, like what the fuck are you saying? Like. God. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess that doesn't fully surprise me, but you know, like that line is such a I feel like it's been disproven so much or like I didn't know that people actually actually said that, you know? It's kind of like the line like, well, black people aren't oppressed anymore. Obama was president. Like, yeah, you don't yeah. actually think people say that, you know? Yeah. But sometimes every once in a while I do I do hear that and I'm like, "Wait, what? Really?" Like people um people bringing up that argument as if it's like a novel thing that they thought of. Like, this is a really good point, you know, that I'm going to make. exactly, right? Well, I'm a good guy because I'm socially liberal, but fiscally conservative because we know we need to be responsible for the future generations. I'm like, what the fuck? Exactly. what are you talking about? Of course I want to endorse social change, but like I'm also economically actually, like I know what's up. Right, exactly. Capitalism is the most unrealistic, unrational idea, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I read the newspaper, like, so I right. know what's going on with the economy. 
Right. Like, stop with the fact that we can't have a system based on infinite growth. Like, I don't understand how, yeah. like, you can even yeah. argue two, two lines past that blatant, blatant contradiction of capitalism. Yeah, no, absolutely. And exactly what you were saying to bring it back to this, that like, yeah, people just have this vision that like we can just ignore the contradictions of capitalism mm -hmm. and then just create this system where we just pay everyone somehow to live in poverty. Right. <laughs> like, like right. great. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people think, and it's really tempting, um, to think that UBI would create the conditions for a stronger working class to fight back. Mm -hmm. But we we have to achieve the stronger working class first, like before UBI. Like I don't think UBI as being distributed and owned by the capitalist class that has so much power and that owns all the means of production mm -hmm. is ever going to, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know if that, if that made sense, but, but you know what I mean? Like a UBI that's mm -hmm. distributed by those people isn't in turn going to create a stronger working class to then fight mm -hmm. back against them. Like the stronger working class and the struggle to emancipate yourself like needs to come before UBI. Like, I'm not saying that UBI doesn't like, is not going to be a part of it. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying that UBI, um, as it's structured right now under capitalism, just will not have that potential. No, absolutely not. And I mean, just thinking about where it came from and like what it was designed for, it's terrifying. And right. if if it's not something that's going to give a wage that's above the poverty line and it gives you access to social services that you need, then it's not going to help. And then like as you're talking about like worker – power what about people who are out of work like they're just completely superfluous to capitalist systems so they're not workers anymore so what bargaining power do they have at all they're just yeah. sitting there they're just sitting there living on their basic income they don't have any fucking bargaining power bargaining power with who they're just yeah. like low-wage consumers and they don't even have much money to consume with so no, who who cares about them you know that's such a good point because as much as you know i wish we didn't have to work. And I think that work is bullshit, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, capitalists, what they, you know, they're afraid of the bargaining power of the workers. So would UBI, like, would it actually strip us of the one thing that, mm -hmm. yeah. that really low wage workers do have? Yeah. Yeah, because then you're just then you're just sitting there waiting for handouts. And if they if they dry up, what the fuck are you going to do? You know, what right. I mean? I don't know. I just, yeah, the whole thing is like extremely scary to me. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't understand why we haven't already woken up. But like, I also don't understand why this isn't making people wake up even more. Like people are actually like, yay, UBI. And I mean, there are people who, there are conservatives who are against UBI, not for these reasons that we're, <laughs> we're giving here, but because they're just against, like, they just think it's like, it's too socialist. It's like a left wing, like, this is, it's going to be too expensive and like whatever, right? And mm -hmm. it's just like, wow, like there's even people who aren't even at least on the side that like, well, this is going to be necessary, but we don't really like it. Like there are still people who believe so much in the capitalist system that like they're, they're opposing this for like incredibly reactionary reasons, even though this at its core is a reactionary idea. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think that what is 
important if people are going to walk away with anything from this episode it's to understand that UBI is is diverse and it has like a lot of different potentials and a lot of different ways of being implemented a lot of the conversations that go on around like universal basic income are super are very conceptual but Mm -hmm. I think you know the political struggle in implementing basic income and in constantly defending the new rights because we because the the capitalists are are going to in turn you know raise the prices or like keep people precarious in other ways um, in order to offset the benefits of basic income so it definitely you know if it were to work there would have to also be a constant and like ferocious continual fight to mm-hmm. like yield the benefits of basic income. Like it's not just like this band-aid that we can just apply and keep reaping the benefits from. It's like mm-hmm. as we've seen from like more Keynesian ep- economics during the post-war era, like even periods that are characterized by like an increase in social benefits and better conditions for people, like they're only temporary, you know, they're only mm-hmm. there while they benefit the capitalists and allow like the the system to maintain itself and to like grow in strength. So I don't know, we would just have to be really, really careful and acutely aware that the political struggle behind like basic income, if we want to keep it radical is going to have to be like, fucking, Mm -hmm. I mean, relentless. Mm -hmm. But that's why it's so scary that these people wouldn't actually be workers anymore. Because it's like, what kind of like radical pressure can can just unemployed people put on like they could ride in the streets and stuff like that but like yeah you know I don't know that's that's like that's really true that's like (laughs) not even a point that I had thought about um but yeah we can already see in different basic income programs that have been implemented around the world um in Finland or in India or in Canada like all of those all of those proposal all those pilot projects for basic income are like wildly different and have yielded very different outcomes like some have been successful and some haven't um notably in Finland apparently the experiment was like a basically a tragic failure and their system of like social assistance of their like state state based social assistance program was more successful Mm-hmm. I just worry that it's like this like flashy performative um program for states to act like they really do want to lift people out of poverty mm-hmm. um so to like implement these pilot programs but really like if the point is to show that poor people on welfare just need more money in order to be healthy and happy and successful like we already mm-hmm. know that like we just mm-hmm. we we don't need like, is it just a way for to like for them to avoid taking concrete actions to actually implement meaningful redistributive policies? Mm-hmm. Um, is it just a way for them to like avoid avoid doing that whilst also creating basically the foundation for like a very eroded like social welfare state where in the future they're just going to subsidize low wage employees? Mm-hmm. yeah and, no, and compensate definitely. for the fact that like work is in, like horribly precarious mm-hmm. I, yeah because it's like again like it can kind of go both ways because on on some level the idea 
of basic income is kind of like, oh, this is a novel because this is a no strings attached kind of a thing where right. it's like we don't like stipulate how you use this at all. You just get it. You can use it forever for whatever you want. So in some ways it's like, oh, how liberating. But then it's also like, yeah, but then that's just like advances this hyper neoliberal individual individualized privatized kind of a system where it's like okay and then again yeah if you're not working or if you're working really low wage work then it's like you don't have power like if you can't afford things it's like well you can't afford right. them like like you is know. it a bullshit way to push this narrative like you have freedom to choose again but right. it's like freedom exactly. to choose what like if I'm sorry, but if your healthcare, if your education, it's costing you like 90% of your basic income, mm -hmm. but is it really uh, great that you can choose between like two different companies? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like for people who are already making really low money, it's like this basic income, I don't know how you'd even pay rent. It's like, I, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, another problem that I have with it or that people have with it or that I would like to bring up <laughs> is that... Um, this so far we're only talking about providing basic income for citizens so what about immigrants what about refugees you know yeah. like all of these people the predominant driver of migration continues to be like imperialism imperialism induced poverty and war also <laughs> tied to imperialism um so like growing income inequality fueled by neoliberal capitalism fueled by the Western powers and like North America, um, these are driving people away from their homes and, you know, needing refuge or needing, you know, jobs or like a different place to live. Also climate change, which we are fueling so heavily in the West is creating a number of environmental refugees. And that is only slated to increase wildly as time goes on. So you know, like immigration systems in the West are designed to control migrants and force them to work in precarious conditions for low pay with very few legal protections. And this just seems like it's going to be the same, you know, it's like, okay, so fine, you're a refugee here, but you don't get the basic income. So it's like, like considering basic income is designed to lower unemployment benefits and like lower wages overall like what about people who can't access the, the basic income then it's mm -hmm. like they have no chance of living because because everyone else is getting the basic income wages are decreasing because companies are being subsidized to do that unemployment benefits are decreasing because well everyone's getting this basic income so what the like no, i don't see anyone really talking about what's going to happen for immigrants or like refugees or like migrants completely yeah i mean as a as a person like living in europe and seeing the refugee crisis here like i am so worried like is it just going to uphold yeah like european imperialism and also robust kind of our fortress of like european privilege that mm -hmm. other people aren't because i mean politicians talking about this are definitely like every single one up until now without without exception has said you know if they've considered basic income they've always stated that it would be on the basis of like you know only for their citizens like there's no mm -hmm. way that politicians would support basic income for whoever comes to 
Mm-hmm. The, the country and isn't a citizen. So is it just going to solidify a system where like certain people who are privileged enough to be like citizens of the state that they resign in read the benefits, but the others don't? Like, for example, in the debates over the Swiss program, Lucy Stum, a member of parliament for the right wing Swiss People's Party, said he could imagine supporting UBI, but only for the Swiss I quote, theoretically, if Switzerland were an island, the answer is yes, he said at the time. But with open borders, it's a total impossibility, especially for Switzerland with a high living standard. Mm. And again, like nothing about that is surprising to me. Like I don't. <laughs> yeah. Already, and, yeah. and I feel like there's so much social outrage. Like I'll talk for France, but just the line of thinking, I mean, and for the U.S., too right that the immigrants are coming in and stealing our jobs mm-hmm. um but but france which Canada is supposed too. to have yeah which is supposed to have like a good social welfare program like that is literally all you hear out of the mouths of french conservatives is like that the people are just like coming to vacation here basically to take advantage of our social programs so like <laughs> all this talk of ubi especially ubi that's supported by right wingers like mm-hmm. how can we imagine that it's going to be anything else than a capitalist scheme and also an imperialist one that the global south is not going to benefit from that's what i was thinking i was like well not every country is going to be able to afford ubi so right. what happens to them so like all the wealthy western countries are giving ubi to everybody and then like what happens to the rest of the globe like what's that going to do to the global economy i yeah i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It scares me. Mm-hmm. It just the, all of us really. I feel like it's going to give an even larger and more unfair comparative advantage to like all Western countries if that is even yeah, absolutely. possible at this point. Absolutely, especially if the like because the Western companies are the ones that are basically operating on all of these these the global south like all these countries right and so if the those companies automate all of their like if they automate all the like sweatshop jobs. And then all those sweatshop workers are out of work, like after suffering, like how many years of like neocolonial exploitation, et cetera. So now they're out of work and their country can't afford UBI. And right. the global economy is now such that they're totally superfluous. Right. And they've already been super exploited through colonialism, imperialism, and then neoliberal capitalism. So and- what the fuck, what the fuck happens to them? Yeah, exactly. And I'm worried that companies that are able, like bigger companies, right, that are able to pay for all this machinery and that automate all of their cost of production. So like that will work for a while, but then there's inevitably going to be like other, like maybe smaller, more flexible companies that spring up that come to like recuperate that incredibly like exploitable labor force Mm -hmm. to compete with the companies that are automated. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. It's not like those people are just then just going to be like chilling or something. Like they're mm-hmm. going to be exploited by someone else because it's not like yeah, the, the the right now how UBI is being discussed and automation too, it's not actually taking into account any of any of those social relations or the way that the capitalist markets are structured. So it's still mm-hmm. like we're mm-hmm. still going yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's totally like ignorant to power and how power operates and how our global economy has always operated. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, this doesn't solve capitalism's internal contradictions. This actually like makes hyper visible that 
this entire global system is ridiculous, Mm -hmm. you know, and like all these countries that have been exploited and, you know, they've, they've turned away from subsistence or they've turned away from creating things for themselves. And so like, you know, their agricultural production is like purely cash crops for export. So like, how are they like, none Mm -hmm. of this makes sense. And overaccumulation will still happen. Mm-hmm. And the environment will like if we're living in a for-profit system, like if we're if it's a for-profit growth-oriented system, then environmental destruction will still happen. And so, like the two major contradictions of capitalism are overaccumulation and environmental degradation. So mm-hmm. both of those will still happen. It's not going to be solved at all. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck? Yeah, it's not changing the modes of production, but it's saying, you know, since like the working class is so devoid of means to buy the shit that we produce, we're going to like artificially pump money so that they can keep purchasing this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But it it absolutely isn't solving the problem of the problem of the way that the economic structure is designed for infinite growth, and especially as you said like the environmental problem, like we're still so so basically we're saying, okay, well UBI can be a way to keep keep fueling production for production's sake and consumption for consumption's sake. And like, we recognize that no one actually like needs this shit and it's totally unsustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but somehow so many of these conversations around UBI are not acknowledging the fact that we're still using it as like a bandaid to further like just this This pointlessness, this pointlessness. Exactly. Oh my god, yeah, you're right. This is just like trying to make us continue production and consumption for their own sake, for no other fucking purpose. Like like no other fucking purpose. No other fucking purpose. Because we know that true freedom means having like 25 choices in terms of what bread we're gonna eat or what chocolate bars we have. That's freedom. We need to keep that going. Totally. And like our lives are still going to revolve around like prices and we're still going to be limited by like what we can and can't afford, what we can and cannot do based on the economic means that we have. Like it's not actually altering any of those paradigms. And it makes me so mad because we could be living in like a post-scarcity kind of society. Like we could be living in such a way where we don't overexploit our resources and we produce just for need and we distribute it to everyone. And that's great. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Yeah. This is still not a system that is going to be like goods are still not going to be distributed on the basis of need. They're going to be distributed mm-hmm. and like allocated on the basis of profit. Mm-hmm. So and like it it won't even work like we can't have infinite growth with everyone displaced from the workforce we can't like it doesn't make sense and like the libertarian capitalist argument for capitalism is that it allocates resources efficiently in this you know uh, context of scarcity that we're in like but that's under like a perfectly competitive model so if we're having everybody just living on UBI, that, that doesn't make sense anymore. No. None of this makes sense anymore. No. I really hate all these ridiculous arguments for capitalism. It's just like, well, look at where it heads, though. Like, follow it to its end here. Right. Because, like, <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah. No, it really is like this diluted fantasy 
that capitalism is based on the exploitation of people, but that somehow we think that with a universal basic income, like it's going to reverse that truth, but not actually like that they're going to be compatible in some kind of way. Like as mm-hmm. if the ownership class is going to give the means to the workers to go on like permanent strike against them and like exit right. from the labor force. Like that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's going to be a huge confusing mess of a dumpster fire where we're just like people are just grasping on to ropes trying to be like okay like maybe if we do this we can hold on longer it's like why are we holding on like stop just stop yeah totally (laughs) yeah the question isn't like where we 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 know where we want to get right we want to get to a point where everyone has like means of subsistence and can like be free and everything Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the but like ubi is not like ubi is only makes sense if it's the means to that end it doesn't make sense if it's the end in itself Mm -hmm. absolutely no that's a really great point because i like i in the end here even though i've been critiquing it I, know, I was going to say, we're getting this. so negative. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> we're like, we're going to have a balanced episode of the pros and cons. Yeah. Like, flash forward yeah. like an hour into the episode. We're just like, this makes me so fucking mad. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, even though I've been like coming down pretty hard yeah, on this. Let's talk about the good parts. Well, I wasn't even going to talk about the good parts. <laughs> Actually, I was just going to say that I think UBI is necessary. But I think it's necessary, like, as capitalism circles the drain, basically, like, I think that we should, we should be supportive of it, or like, at the very least, we should not outright oppose it. Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. I agree. But, I mean, A, as it's being implemented, we need to be hyper vigilant about how it's being implemented. And if they're going to strip away our other social services, and if they're going to, like, you know, use this as a way to lower wages overall. Um, so we have to fight for that. But also, this is just a short-term band-aid solution. Like, this is not something that we can, like, this is not a way that we can maintain this infinite growth and have this class of owners and this class of laborers. It no longer makes sense. And I fear that, like, we're just going to use this as a way, like, as this last-ditch attempt to hold on as long as we can when this is ridiculous, like, you know? So it's like, yeah, I mean, support it because people need it. Like, people are fucking going to need it. Mm-hmm. But also it's like we have to educate people on capitalism and the contradictions of capitalism and and have them understand, like, what's the end game here? Like, how, like, you know, think into the future. Like, we need – we need fully automated luxury communism. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we need that. We need automation to work for everyone and to like produce things based on need, not like super exploitation of our resources, not growth, not profit, not any of this shit. So it can't it can't be where we stop. Like this can't be like our what we're aiming for. This has to be like a means to a different end. And we all have to be aware of what that different end is. Mm-hmm. and like what we have to do for it so yeah anyway. totally no really well said I was thinking while you were speaking I was like is this actually just like a modern like new age form of like uh, of debt you know what I mean because I mm-hmm. I feel like 
you know, even on the state level, like so many states are basically like enslaved to capitalism, colonialism by being in this like imaginary debt that like keeps rising, mm-hmm. like the interest keeps rising and they keep having to pay it back. Um, but even like how the state indebts its citizen to basically like enslave them, you know, like if when you have like a lot of debt because of like education or because of, I, I don't know, the fact that all the banks keep issuing like credit cards so that people keep pumping money into the economy and keep spending, like ultimately just ties them back to the capitalist structure. Mm-hmm. And is it like because maybe people are catching on to the fact that that's how debt works, that now they're like, oh, we are going to disguise it as like a universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Um but also, yeah, and, and especially I feel like it's especially dangerous because, as you said, it, like, strips us of, like, our one remaining bargaining power of, like, labor. So exactly. it's, like, we're, we're really going to be reliant on the state for these, you know, everything handouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, everything. And that's what scares me because it's like, unless we are already thinking of UBI as a means to a different end, like, unless we're already organizing now for that, then by the time we're all living off UBI, we're not going to have any, like, revolutionary power. Yeah. We're going to be to- we're gonna be totally, totally disenfranchised. And so yeah. it's going to just be, like, you know, this could be, like, the most dystopian fucking horror show ever. Or totally. it could be, like, yeah. a glowing utopia of wonder and, like, fairness and equality for all. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know... Obviously, none of our, like, even, like, liberal governments, quote-unquote, the liberal government, like, these are all neoliberals. Like, these are all neoliberal capitalist governments. Mm -hmm. So we can't, we can't let them do this. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the capitalist state is always trying to create the conditions for capital accumulation. That's, like, its number one function. So it's not... So thinking that it's going to have some big redistributive role that is going to fundamentally alter like the very power structure that it relies on is, I think, unrealistic. Um, I mean, I'm I'm forgetting who said this, but that the state is the executive committee of the bourgeoisie, Mm -hmm. like at least the state in its modern form, Um, which is like so true. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, the capitalist state has no interest in creating a classless utopia. No. (laughs) No, they don't. And I feel like the first thing to go in that case would be, like, borders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If if their goal was really to create, like, a a global utopia or, like, a quote-unquote universal basic income, as we said, the universal – the basic income wouldn't be reliant on whether or not you are a citizen of that state – Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that all in all, like for me, what is promising or what is good about like all these conversations around around universal basic income, and especially if the left like gets serious about all the things that we addressed, is that it like ideologically I still feel like these conversations or it has the potential to raise the expectations of workers, like to to start conversations around the fact that like human human life isn't just valuable because of like a person's ability to perform labor Mm -hmm. um and that things like food and shelter and education those social services aren't things that you should have to work in order to benefit from like they should be Mm -hmm. 
basic mm -hmm. human rights. And yeah. I think that the universal basic income, like if it has the potential to bring that into the forefront of people's like consciousness, mm -hmm. it, it can potentially like radicalize people's imaginations in a way that would go against the capitalist state. Mm -hmm. again though like that movement needs to come from the bottom up like if it's just pushed by like mark zuckerberg exactly and like elon musk just out of the goodness of their own heart just like since they're so innovative and brilliant like handing out mm -hmm. ha handing out payouts to people it's not going to have that potential mm -hmm. yeah um you're right i think that's that's true because um like prior to now, the idea was that the reason why it was fair for people to have to pay for those things themselves was because everyone assumed that capitalism was this super efficient system and that if you only worked hard enough, then you would make it and then you'd be able to do it if you were responsible enough. But mm -hmm. I think that now this actually really demonstrates to people that no, that's not true. Capitalism is a fucking shit show. It always has been. It's always been unequal. It's always been ridiculous. And the idea of like just working hard and then you'll be fine doesn't hold up anymore, especially if like 50% of the population is redundant to the workforce. And so you're right. That could actually change people's minds about like, well, people who are redundant to the workforce are still people that still need to be taken care of and that deserve that and that you know so yeah mm -hmm. i mean that could definitely shift people's thinking on that ridiculously like bourgeois individualist mm -hmm. ideology mm -hmm. like is it actually a radical proposal to to help us emancipate ourselves from capitalism and labor or is it really just like a really meager concession pushed by capitalists to basically prop up the system and like allow them to keep exploiting people on the basis of like class and mm -hmm. nation and race and yeah that. well I mean I think the majority of people pushing it fall into that camp but I think that as you said if it can open up the minds of like the quote-unquote 99 percent to actually realize that you know this these conservative ideas about work and value and like you know services and who deserves them and whatever like if it can actually open up people's minds about that then maybe we're talking like then maybe we're talking about people actually wanting to come together and create you know this luxury communism <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so i don't know i mean i just i just want people to be aware of this stuff when they're talking about it right well, we ended up being a lot more negative than I even thought that we could on this topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, kind of expected it to go this way, to I be did honest. Too. I did too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, thanks for listening. And I hope this, I don't know, shook some things up in your mind or made you think a bit differently about our system as a whole. And right. like the, the big picture and the end game here. And I'd be super interested to hear from anyone who might have uh who might have answers to all the questions that we've brought up. Um mm -hmm. yeah. for the most part, like 
yes, some people do bring this stuff up or like, but I feel like it's always addressed by saying like, okay, well, we're going to need like strict policy changes in order to like make it go the right way. But there's not actually like, Mm -hmm. we need like an actual blueprint for how universal basic income is going to play out. Because as I said, like, as we acknowledge, like there's so many different ways that it can be implemented. And also it could be like a tragic loss of the, tiny bargaining power that we still have left mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. by relying on our employer for labor yeah and even if you have a blueprint though like still what's the end game like exactly think about 50 100 years down the line like what's the fucking end game of this because we can't just live on this forever it doesn't make and, sense like, anymore. keep producing shit just for, the for sake no of reason it for yeah. no reason so yeah i'd be definitely interested to hear if people have like really progressive ideas about it anyway anyway thank you for listening yeah and leave us your comments as usual yeah we'd love the we'd love some feedback i would yeah Yeah. i'd be super interested to hear what what people have to say about this episode Mm -hmm. me too and if you like it please share it with your friends so that we can get the word out that there are things that we need to be thinking about more mm-hmm. deeply. Yes. Yes. All right. Yes, yes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Cheers.